That gives a whole new meaning for mowing the lawn, doesn't it? Oh, man. Sure does. Recorded live. Scuba Obsessed Weekly Podcast, we talk about all things scuba diving, from cool new gear, places to dive, and scuba to news. Scuba Obsessed, episode 241, is recorded live May 14th, 2015. Welcome back to Scoob Obsessed. I'm Darren Jilson coming to you from the west side of the great state of Michigan where we are slowly creeping into spring. I see the leaves have come out in the trees and joining me from a place where there's trees is Mac the Dive Mentor. How are you doing today, Mac? I'm doing very well, thank you. And also joining us from a pla- another place that happens to have trees is Jim Schultz. How are you doing today, Jim? Just great, thank you. How are you doing today, Darren? I'm doing very well, thank you. It's uh, Actually, it's my me and my wife's anniversary, so I want to wish my wife a happy anniversary. 27 years today. Seems like just yesterday. Is it possible that time feels like like 2.7 years? I, I did notice that the gentleman in the picture <laughs> was slightly more svelte than svelte. you. Uh, little like svelte. Uh, yeah. Yeah, that was, uh, yeah, that would be what I would consider to be my natural weight, <laughs> which I haven't seen probably for 25 years. <laughs> It's funny how that happens, you know. Yeah, yeah, and you keep looking at that, thinking I'm going to get back to that weight. So I'm, I'm determined. I'm not. I haven't given up yet. But how much, uh, how much did you weigh when you got married? Oh gosh, I was probably a hundred and maybe eighty. I was a hundred and forty-five pounds. <laughs> oh wow, hundred and forty-five pounds, and I was, yeah. a, and I was a skinny guy. I oh. remember <laughs> when, when I, my sophomore year in high school. I was 145 pounds, and the coach screamed at me to get to 100, and uh, he wanted me at 179. Damn! Been, what were you wrestling? No, this is football. That was uh, I was uh, linebacker and safety, so he was screaming at me. And then I, uh, my senior year, because I moved to the other side of the state, I did cross country just to keep into a sport, and I think I got down to maybe 150 at that point, and I, I, I literally had no body fat on me at all. So I, keep... I can't imagine what I looked like back then. Yeah. Not, I mean, at 145. By the time I got out of the army, I was only 155 then. Wow. Yeah. I, I, I tell myself I need to run. I love and hate running. I love when I stop running. <laughs> While I'm running, I hate it. When you stop, you go, wow, that feels good. Is that kind of like the same thing as like masochism? Like you start to cut your hand and then you stop cutting it? <laughs> well, it's like when you go to church. You don't want to go some mornings, but. When you go and you come back, it's like, boy, I'm glad I went. Yeah, yeah, I, I get that quite a bit too. So yeah, that's uh, that's well, a, it's like diving, right? Well, it's di- diving, and it's cold and whatever. But man, when you get out, it's like, damn, I'm glad I went out, even if it was cold and yeah, dreary. When, and when, when when you're in the water, that's one of the <laughs> top things there is. So let's see. And then I went to. Uh, I just got backward. We're we're starting recording just a little bit late, but I went to my daughter's band thing. And out of this chance that the people sitting down and to the left of me, whose kid filled his diaper two minutes into an hour and a half program, next time, please change him. Oh, God, I would hope so. <laughs> oh. Well, and then what was bad was 
when the when the band would stop playing music because it was like seventh band, seventh grade band, eighth grade band, all the way up to high school, and in between the songs, the kid would act, start acting up, and she'd bounce him on her leg, and oh. that was like bellows of poop. <laughs> <laughs> it was just and just pump that odor right on out of there. Yes. Oh my god! And I'm like, you know, I had kids, but I. I don't think my nose ever got to the point where I didn't smell it like that. Oh, that was, uh, that was, that was pretty rough, but the band played well and they had a good performance and, and we made it back on. and the band played on. So we're ready to tar- start talking about some scuba diving. So let's jump on into scuba news. This first one we'll thank Mac for. He's got a couple articles that he posted for us on microbeads. And for those who don't know, microbeads are those little bits of grit that are in uh, cosmetics and soaps and lotions, and they become popular. But probably the last five or ten years, um, you know, it's one of the, it's kind of in that sphere. Is when they first came out, they were marketed as this miracle thing, nanotechnology. So Illinois has has banned them, and they have an article. For, this one's out of Time Magazine, saying, "No, what's in your face wash?" Illinois was the first state to ban the tiny plastic beads and cosmetics like face wash which damage marine life. The exfoliant microbeads, which are tiny bits of plastic in your face wash, are causing some serious damage to your skin and environment. And uh, states are starting to crack down. Uh, Illinois banned the sale of cosmetic containing plastic microbeads, coming the first state to, to uh, legally take a strong stance against what researchers are calling serious environmental problem. The plastic waste caused by the microbeads, which are not filtered out during sewage treatment, are damaging water ecosystems. This is a report according to the U.N., Environmental programs says plastic waste causes 13 billion in damage every year to marine life. Since the beads are so small, fish and other marine life easily swallow them, causing DNA damage, even death. In a 2008 study, UK researchers showed that plastic remains inside the mussels for 48 days. Last year, researchers at the University of Wisconsin Superior reported that the national meeting and exposition in American Chemical Society there were 1,500 to 1.7 million plastic particles per square mile in the Great Lakes. It, isn't that a little, little bit of a range? 1,500 to 1. 1.7 million? I mean, I, I, I'm agree. I, I don't think we need these beads. Uh, the Illinois ban is encouraging for other states to pushing similar laws. In fact, Illinois' new ban had industry players on board means cooperation is possible in other regions, too. It's a cooperative effort with the industry in order to address ours and their concerns, says Jeff Jennifer Walling, executive director of the Illinois Environmental Council. In the end, we are trying to get something that would pass. Other states should try for more stringent standards. Walling says she's happy with the results, though she wishes the timeline was shorter. Manufacturers have the phase-out period from 2017 to 2019. Other states like New York, California, Ohio are trying to pass similar bans. California wants to allow biodegradable beads, and New York makers, uh, lawmakers which worked with a plastic-fighting group, Five Geyers, have so far received positive response from their legislators, legislation. Earlier this summer, New Jersey Democrat U.S. Representative Frank Pallone Jr. introduced a bill, bill that would make the a nationwide ban possible in 2018. So let's jump on. Uh, to, do they have anything more in here, Mac, as we get down? No, but like they were saying, uh, most of the manufacturers are going to do away with it anyway, I think by like 2018, 2019. And they're saying items like oatmeal do the same thing. When they say oatmeal, what do they mean by that oatmeal does the same thing? Just that that breaks down and can't well, be natural versions. They said of a face wash, they use ingredients oh, like yeah. or fine. 
<laughs> yes, and yes. bring it up items like walnut shells to yes. the smallest particle yeah. are all biodegradable. Yeah. Yeah, they're biodegradable, they're natural, and they accomplish the same thing. When you're taking oil, making a plastic, and putting these small beads in, it just, the only thing you're gaining from manufacturing is, is probably like a small amount of profit. It's just not needed. Um, and then here in Michigan, Upton, uh, he's saying it's a, a major problem. Energy and Commerce Subcommittee on Health this morning is holding a hearing to discuss uh, bipartisan legislation, and this was from May 1st, on the issue of microbeads and cosmetic products polluting bodies of water such as the Great Lakes. Chairman Fred Upton explained microbeads, then he goes on, which we already talked about, pollutants mistaken by fish and wildlife for foods. So uh, The item I liked on his yeah. was the, the pictorial he used was that penny that's about three feet big. Yeah. Showing the size of the penny versus the microbeads, that yeah. gives you a really good feel for, wow, they're pretty small. Yeah. Did you ever see the movie A Drama to Strain? Oh, yes. <laughs> when I see that penny, that's what I think of. There's a, some invasion going on. But, yeah, they're, they're, they're tiny. And, and you can, I've, I've seen them. That, you know, they do feel good when you wash them on your hands. But like we said, you know, walnut shells or other materials can achieve the same thing. And then he even mentions it in toothpaste. I didn't realize they're in toothpaste. Yeah. Makes your teeth white. The microbeads make them white? Well, it scrubs off the outer oh. layer. <laughs> yeah. The enamel in your teeth that you might want to keep. Do you know they had teeth whitening all the way back in the in the old, 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 old days? Yeah. You know what they used, basically? Uh, bleach. Bleach. Yeah. Of course, uh, that took the enamel off, and when they're older, they didn't have any teeth. Yeah. A friend of my grandmother's was going to the dentist and the dentist is like, what are you doing to your teeth? And she explained to him and she was, she was using something like Tylex. Oh yeah. She happened to have one of those, uh, significant others who was obsessed with white teeth. And the dentist says, you're just, you're just tearing up the enamel. So she gave it up, but yeah, Tylex. Hmm. And I don't know in other countries you might not have Tylex, but it's a uh, pretty much a, like a sink cleaning product. <laughs> You know, bleach with some other great things in it, uh, and and obviously not intended for uh, using as toothpaste. <laughs> yeah. Okay. The next one we have on the list. So we have a scuba shop is training divers and selling gears. Uh, this is out of Traverse City. Really? Isn't yes. that unique? Scuba. They train divers and sell gear. Yep. The the scuba north in Traverse City has said that they will train divers and sell gear. They're also saying there's some shallow sites where people can go and snorkel. It says you can do that in wo- local water. It says many sm- snorkelers can swim down to 30 feet below, 30 feet below the water surface. D- do Does your average snorkeler go that deep, 30 feet? I don't think so. I don't think so. Yeah, that, that would not be me. That's quite a squeeze to get to 30 feet. Yeah, you'd have to be trained at it. I, I've seen some people do. We've seen the videos where you have the free divers go down and do stuff at that depth, but... Yeah, I don't think your average people do that. Uh, now, you may be able to see down to 30 feet if the conditions are right. So, And then in the article, he goes on and talks about some other things. So if you're in Traverse City, looks like there's a new shop in town. Go up and, and check them out. Well, they have there. Thought, so we'll have to keep that in mind if we go up that way. Yeah. What I thought was interesting, did you look at what they talked about? The average age of certified divers in the USA is 45, uh, 45 years old. The average diver uh, age of the diver in Travis City area is twenty is thirty to thirty five. Wow, that seems awful young, doesn't it? Is the average age of a diver in Benton Harbor, St. Joe, 
<laughs> it, it's got to be more than that. What's the average age like of the Mud X Club? Guy, you know. Oh, the Mud Club? Okay. Yeah, the average age of the Mud Club. And, until a week ago, I think I was the youngest member. What do you think <laughs> of the cost? you think that's about right, 2000 bucks for a tank, BC, rag, dive computer, and wetsuit for 2000 Yeah. Jim, what do you think? Yeah. For cold water Eight, regulator? 12 Yeah. Yeah, you, you could probably get a... Yeah, yeah, because yeah, I think that's what I, I mean, I, that might be more than everything I've ever put into dive gear. <laughs> no, um, but yeah, I think you should be able to. Yeah, you ought that's to be reasonable. able to get fully equipped with two tanks for under two grand. Yeah. Now, dry suit would probably add another, what, six, seven hundred onto that? Eh, another thousand. Thousand yeah. to get a good one. Yeah, well, you can't touch a new dry suit now for under a thousand. Oh, e- even the old uh, bear suits? Yeah, I mean, yeah, any on, kind still. of new dry suit's going to cost you a thousand now. Okay, and then here, this one looks to be out of Yorkshire, UK. An advocate group is saying girls should take the plunge into diving. Uh, this is according to Megan Seventeen, one of Britain's youngest scuba divers. Diving instructors has been named the national nation's first "This Girl Can Dive" ambassador to encourage more females to take the plunge. She's from Halifax. Has been diving since age twelve. Is now the youngest female open water instructor registered with a governing governing body, the British Subaquatic Club. She says it is heartbreaking that so many women are discouraged from leading activities, active lives, because they feel self self conscious and miss out on all sorts of fun. Um, she's one of the youngest people ever to be qualified as an assistant open water instructor at age fifteen and a full open water instructor at age seventeen. I like their social media campaign slogans. What is that? Sweating like a pig, feeling like a fox. Sweating like a pig, feeling like a fox. Foxy lady. Okay. Well, yeah, you can sweat all you want underwater. It just goes away. <laughs> uh, I'm not sure that's the association you want from a from an ad marketing perspective, but, hey, you'll get your attention. Yeah. Well, I didn't think of it as theirs. Yeah. Uh, they said for more information on the Girl Ken campaign, visit www.thisgirlken.co.uk or sportengland.org. And then we have scuba divers having lunch with a turtle. And I am ignoring the chat room. Apologize for that. I just have gotten on a roll. Need to paste it. See a couple people in there. We got Surfer George and Flyboy. And uh, the scuba divers invited sea turtles to share their fish supper. The charity Sustainable Fish set, uh, Cities and Fresh Food Supplier Breaks have teamed up the London Sea Life Aquarium to host a fish supper. Said it's memorable because the diners are wearing scuba gear. It's inside one of the museum's big tanks. And a bunch of turtles, rays, and sharks were invited to. It'd be cool to do that for a photo op. It is. I, b- I bet your, fi- your fish dinner gets a little soggy, though. Is deep fried? Was it fish and chips? I bet the other critters are trying to take your food, though. I bet you they are. Fish or no fish. Nice pictures. Yeah, interesting pictures. Great photo op. And then uh, we'd, I didn't bring get the article, but they had a photo today in one of the news sites of the, what they're considering to be one of the lo- oldest living animals on the planet. It was a tortoise, and they had a picture of the tortoise at almost the exact size it is now from, like, 1902. Wow. <laughs> yeah, they had. So you had all these people dressed like you would expect in 1902 staying next to the turtle. And then they had the turtle from a photo of, of this last week. So they, they were they were calling them the oldest animal alive. But I bet you there are some that are older somewhere. 
That's not the one they euthanized, is it? <laughs> Happy birthday. <laughs> yeah, here, let's let's do a search for it. I saw an article in one of the ones we were looking at. There's a large turtle came up on the beach and they euthanized it. Wow. Yeah, it says, Jonathan, the Sanchilles giant tortoise is living on the islands of St. Helena. He's reported to be 182 years old and thought to be the oldest currently living terrestrial animal, if the claim is true. Harriet, a Galapagos turtle, died at age 175 in June 2006. Let's see. I'm trying to see if I can find the photo. They got a bunch of photos of them. But the the photo they had in the article was real nice because it showed the old photo and the new photo. Well, let's continue on. Now we have a scuba club that's uh, struggling to receive recognition from SAL. What is SAL? Student Activities and Leadership. Uh-oh. Organization Overseas University Student Groups. Ah, so it sounds like this is from the Stanford Daily. And they're saying, since its inception last year, Stanford's Underwater has brought Stanford Scuba Community together by organizing dive trips. However, liability insurance and equipment concerns have prevented the group from receiving official recognition and approval from the student activities and leadership. The organization approves and oversees university student groups. The, the president of Stanford Underwater, who founded the club last year, uh, has applied for official club status three times but has been rejected every time by Sal. It's been frustrating to go through that process and continually be rejected, but we're basically this community that's going to be here regardless of whether or not we're approved. Uh, then, then according to Joy Layton, the communication director of student affairs, said in an email to The Daily, we recognize the group's interest in becoming a voluntary student organization. And over the last two years, university staff Staff have worked to find a way of providing this activity. However, the group has been unable to find a scuba insurance carrier that will cover the club's activities, which is required. Must be because it's affiliated with the school and a lawsuit would go against the school. So is that what it is? Is that the like your normal insurance carriers who had covered scuba diving don't want the extra liability because it would be associated with the school? And who's going to pay the insurance premiums? No, just school is not going to do anything. They can't just roll into their own riders they've already got. Yeah. So the way that this would happen is, is there any Stanford alumni who are very wealthy, who are in the dive industry maybe, who'd be willing to fund it? Because I bet if you get the insurance funded, then all of a sudden that the issue would go away. Yeah. They said, without the official club recognition from the university, Standard and Water does not receive any funding from sources outside of its membership. Said the scuba rentals at Monterey, Monterey cost $65 for a single-day dive, which can be an obstacle for prospective members. The biggest thorn of not being recognized is we really want to introduce people to this amazing world underwater and these amazing opportunities to dive in the Monterey, but people don't have the financial means to do it, which aren't able to provide much aid. Yeah, it can be a little pricey. Now, wouldn't a way around this be to set up a class? But again, if, if, if it's the issue of how do you get the insurance. Now, I know Andrews, for example, has and teaches uh, scuba, mm-hmm. but I don't know if it's affiliated with school or not. I don't remember. It's been a long time. Well, uh, SAS, uh, I know they teach at a, quite a few of the colleges in the right. area. Now, taught, uh, do, they separ- yeah, do they separate the class part from the water part? I mean, is there uh, like the bookwork is the only part of the, of the credit curriculum? And then the other stuff, I'm sure, is running under the dive shop's liability. 
Well, I, I used to help them teach the classes over at Lake Michigan College, and then they did the uh, water classes at uh, the YMCA. Uh, you got college credit for it because uh, the physical activity, you got the PE credit. So if you went to Western afterwards, you didn't have to take PE there if you already had this. Uh, and my understanding is when, because my daughter took it, matter of fact, that you did not have to take the open water section to get credit for the class. Uh, you just so had that's... to participate, go to the school, do the um, pool stuff, but you did not have to do the open water and get the license per se. Yeah, so that's probably how the school would avoid liability because they're saying we don't require that. That's an option. You just happen, you know, you do that with the dive shop. Right. So you do your open water and then you pay your money for the license or, you know, your card. Yeah. Yeah, and I'm sure most students, after you're going to go through all that work, why not get the benefit and get your C card? Yeah, I I never noticed any of the, the students at that time who did not. Next up, we have and I and I was before the show. I was talking about is this the same article they just dredge it up every year? Buried shipwreck uncovered on North Carolina beach. This one is a buried shipwreck has been unearthed off North Carolina, according according to the uh, was that TV station WECT. Piece of history was uncovered in the sand earlier this week in Surf City, likely by shifting sands caused by tropical storms Anna. Shipwreckers believe that of the William H. Sumner. A three-masted schooner was built in 1891, according to WECT. It's currently visible with low tide. The schooner was headed west to the West Indies. Oh, so headed from the West Indies to New York in 1919 when something went wrong. The ship is believed to have wrecked in the topsail inlet. The ten-foot piece of wood found in the beach is believed to be part of the ship's inner shell. Then down below they show some more photos. Which look like the same piece, actually. Well, you look at all the pictures from up north here in Lake Michigan lately. Yeah. And you take a look at this, and it's like, yeah, which same one thing. came from where? Yeah. The, I think there's a fiberglass piece, and if you want to get your city in the news, some guy hauls it to your beach, and they call <laughs> everybody up. You get the photos taken with it, and then you, you know, he, he loads it in his pickup and goes down the road. Like a little scam. Not that this is a scam, but... And then we have a fishing trawler makes an interesting catch of the day. This one out of Lake Erie. And since they talk about uh, terms we don't use in the U.S., I'm guessing it's on the Canadian side. Port Dover, a piece of nautical history, has been lifted from the bottom of Lake Erie. A top half of a wooden mast, believed to date from 1800s, is brought up from one of the deepest parts of the lake near Long Point, where it got caught in the net of a fishing trawler, Iron Fish, last Friday. It is not known that the shipwreck uh, is not known what shipwreck it was attached to, though Ironfish Captain Glenn Spain says his local diving pals have suspicions it's a three-masted vessel. But whatever it was, uh, Michael McAllister, City of Hamilton, who is the co-coordinator of the War of 1812, Hamilton and scourge shipwrecks in Lake Ontario, not a plug there, uh, says that he estimates the 23-meter mass section is part of a very large ship. <laughs> At the very least, we could say that, uh, McAllister said Wednesday. If I'm right, that would be a substantial vessel for sure. Be one heck of a big mast. Typically, the top mast is shorter than the bottom. Now, they say anything more about it? Trying to go through this. Real hard to read the text. Um, Yeah, but interesting photos if you go through the photos. Now, Mac, you were saying before the show that you're pretty sure that as soon as he latched onto this, he realized that he had something. Oh, heck yeah. I mean, you've been out there with an anchor or something, and you're dragging it on the bottom, and it catches. You yeah. usually tell really, really quick that, yeah. whoops, 
I don't want to pull something off the back of the boat, maybe I should stop. Yeah, with with GPS, hopefully he's got the numbers and somebody's going to look into it. I sure hope so. That's a very interesting, very interesting find. Well, when you look at the condition, like you said earlier, uh, Jim, with the bottom of that mast being so clean, that means that there's got to be a substantial part of that vessel still there. Yeah. Maybe they pulled it out of the well, too. Yeah. Yeah, It could be. I mean, look at the bottom of that one picture. It looks really clean. Yeah. Now, Long Point, they talked about it coming up near Long Point, I think, at some point. And Long Point is just north of Erie, PA, yeah. uh, on the Canadian side. Well, uh, then you can forget about going under a plan with it. Yeah. Yeah, let's see. They said something about who was claiming. This says the Crown owns a lake bottom and therefore shipwrecks. <clears throat> the future is for the Ministry of Tourism, Culture, and Sports to decide. Angela Wallace, curator of the Port Dover Harbor Museum, is visiting it Thursday with a volunteer to take photos and measurements for the for the ministry. Uh, she plans on having the captain of the vessel put to death, and then they will sell the assets. She calls the discovery pretty. <laughs> she calls the discovery pretty exciting and says it's amazing what you what gets caught on fishing nets. I, I guess she doesn't mean to have them put to death, but that would draw more attention to the issue. Off with his head! Yeah, it would be mm. crown. How does is is this is that what the Canadians call it, or is it because of the British Commonwealth all that fuddly stuff? I'm not that really up on Canadian <laughs> government. I mean, that, that really sucks. Yeah, well, just it's it's funny that they say crown. I uh, I do know. Uh, yeah, I looked about a month ago at all that stuff, and you know, Australia and all the different countries. Uh, so I'm just maybe maybe some of our Canadian listeners could let us know. I'm sure they're going to let us know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. We we probably lost half our British listeners. We, we don't by... mean that in a disparaging way, honest. No, no, just only if it's Which funny. Yeah. <laughs> Which is not unusual. <laughs> Nobody should be surprised. Ugly, American. Ugly American. Yeah, yeah. Nothing better than when we t- we travel in the foreign countries and say crazy stuff like that too. Uh, M H. Well, you know, you always tell them. You know where the Americans are. Go ahead. Was that the last time I was in France? Uh huh. My daughter was sitting there and she said, "You know, just just do one thing." I said, "Well," he said, "Just just be quiet a minute and just listen." And you sit there a minute and you listen for about a minute and a half, if that. And immediately you can tell where all the freaking Americans are in that building. <laughs> They're the ones who are talking louder than blazes. So they could so they could be heard over everybody. I don't know. But you, you, if you're over there, try that some. Just be quiet and listen, and the people you're going to hear are the Americans. Well, how could I be the ugly American if I'm listening? That does that just is a contradiction. Because if you're listening, <laughs> then you're not the ugly American. <laughs> you're trying to become culture fired or something. Yeah. Huh. That's. It'd be interesting to have a study done by somebody impartial. Anything I've read on it is usually just people from other countries bitching. Well, that's what we all do. Yeah. You always bitch about people who are different than you. The the unfortunate and the way things are. Speaking of searching for things, we have the MH370 search. Detects no plane but an ancient ship, right? And look at that photo. Can you spot the anchor? Yeah, considering that is two miles down, how far down or how far up was that side scan unit to pick that anchor up like that? Well, they, they sent an ROV down. Yeah. So what happened is it is part of the $90 million search for the missing MH370 plane that has detected some surprising finds. This in the Indian Ocean. They found a debris, and they initially thought it was a shipwreck, and an ancient shipwreck at that, but they wanted to, to make sure. So they went back over the spot, took some more scans, and they sent down an ROV. 
And that is the photo that they got, one of the photos they got there. They've had to move on, but they've marked a location and underwater archaeologists are planning on uh, trying to go back to figure out. But it was a little over two miles deep. Now, that anchor looks amazingly like the anchor that's on Max Rec, doesn't it? I thought so. That object off to the right sound looks really interesting, too. The one up towards the top of the photo? Yeah, about 12 o'clock, 12.30 position. What does that look like to you? It's like you'd like to have the the high resolution photos. It almost doesn't that look more like if you put a mask down that hole. A mask. Mast. You know, you're saying oh, yeah. you mean on the right, on the upper yeah. right, like at the yeah. clock mm-hmm. position. Yeah. Yeah. And down like down at the a, bottom, a about four thirty. Ring. Yeah. At four thirty, it would hold a mast. Yeah. Wish I had more pictures there because that that square object or that ninety degree angle item mm-hmm. that looks interesting. Is that too? That looks like a, that could be like a hatch or something. Yeah. I just wish they'd had more pictures on this one. Yeah, he said the uh, there were characteristics of the contact that made it unlikely to be the airplane, but there were also aspects that generated interest. They said multiple small bright reflections in a relatively small area of an otherwise featureless seabed. Because, okay, okay. Uh, I just found some more pictures of that. Oh, did they? If click, yeah, if you click on, I don't want to just, uh, just clicked on it, but I got some more pictures that are quite interesting. I'm trying to back. click on everything and I won't get yeah, any pictures. Too. Okay, wait a minute. I just got some pictures. Oh, go on reports. Oh, reports. Okay. Yeah. Click on reports. Okay, click on the reports and get link. Some pictures, which is, I, I wanted to see that. Reports, reports, reports. Where's reports? Top of the article? Yeah, if, if you read through it, there's a, it's like the one word in the article that's underlined. Ah, see it. Oh, yeah. A little bit, little bit better photo. Well, different variety of items. Now, that's interesting stuff. Yeah, so Makes you wonder people. what the heck happened in that ship to be in that many pieces. That's true when you think about it. Right. And I like the one down below that where they're showing uh, shipping containers that are located on the floor. Oh, you know those are all over the world. Yeah. Well, you could go trolling with that with a big magnet, man. That's yeah. not high tech. That's, that's low tech gear man, with a lot of cable. I wonder if there's any uh, salvage value. I won't know until you pull you it know, up. There, there's another idea for a reality program. You know, salvage masters, you go out there, you get this this good size vessel, drop a magnet down, you open it up, and then it's almost like, uh, what's that, Storage Wars, where you have people yeah. bid on the contents? Yeah. I wonder what the salvage law is for that. If you could, if you picked up the containers, anything that's in it yours? I don't know why it wouldn't be. It's like, one, you can't determine who's the owner. So maybe Admiralty Law would be in effect for that, and you're not going to find any freaking gold in it. And if you do, you're going to keep your mouth shut. You can get a flat screen TV that's waterlogged and won't run. <laughs> would be interesting. Wow, look at the amount of money they're spending on looking for this plane. Tuesday night's federal budget indicated that $79.6 million in funding over two years for the search for MH370, taking Australia's total commitment since March 2014 to $90 million. So why is Australia doing that for that much money? I don't know. Malaysia is expected to match Australia's contribution, meaning the total cost of the search would be $180 million. I can see Malaysia because it's their airplane. Yeah, they said Malaysian Airlines aircraft disappeared 14 months ago on the flight from Kuala Lumpur to Beijing. There were 239 people on board, including six Australians. <coughs> so is it because they had six Australians? Hmm. And if you look at the comments on that story, there you go for conspiracy again. Uh-oh, let's look at the comments. Now, Malaysian report shows the crew was not acting alone. The reason they're not found, if I, that they didn't find it, they're looking in the wrong place. Well, they landed in an aircraft carrier, so that's what everybody knows. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Could you imagine that? And I think that? what they threw out as an arresting gear. Yes. <laughs> they had to snag the 
snag the cable. Okay, so are we? We're getting down towards the end. Um, they have a rare Spanish shipwreck from the 17th century has been discovered off the coast of Panama. That gives a new name to a rubble wreck, doesn't it? It's a it's a pretty Wooden crates. It's a pretty rubble wreck. Yeah, those are crates. So I'd be like, what's in the crate? Man, can you fan that baby out? That'd be fun. How many divers? Every diver gets eight crate. One, two, three. Yeah, you can have a lot of fun out there. Yeah. Get to keep with your eye, or you have to split with the government 50-50. Yeah, so what Max referring to is this is an article from National Geographic, and the ship which went down in 18, uh, 1681 with crates of swords, nails, and bolts of cloth. Archaeologists searching for real-life pirates of the Caribbean stumbled upon the mysterious shipwreck in 2011. Now, after years of historic detective work, they know what they've discovered. In 1681, the Spanish merchant ship, oh, goodness. We have to have one every week, don't we? Uh, N. Carnacoin. I'm going to, that's about as close as I'm going to get. Sank during the storm near the mouth of the uh, Charez River in the Caribbean side of Panama, built in Veracruz, Mexico. The the cargo vessel was part of the uh, uh, Tierra Firm fleet, the economic lifeline of 17th century Spain. Though it sank in less than 40 feet of water, it escaped major lo- looting, surprisingly well-preserved, with the bottom half of its hull intact, thanks to burial on the seafloor. I find that very interesting wording, heavily looted. It's been there how many hundreds of years? So if you try to salvage it, are you looting it? If you oh, I see. If yeah. you stop looting, if you stop salvaging it because you didn't get any more, you didn't care, somebody comes on 50 years later and salvages more, are they looting it? Yeah, it's kind of like if I order a, a meal at a restaurant and then for some reason it gets in the trash and then you take it out of the trash, are you stealing it? Uh, just a picky thing. I just dislike the word looting when that's not true. Well, I mean, that's a, that's a thing we got to be careful of in the media is that everything gets framed and what they want it to, to to create your behavior and have an emotion. We just have to be aware of it. I mean, you've got freedom of press, freedom of speech. You can put it how you like, but, you know, we're going to call you out on it when we see it. Well, you figure 100 years ago, if you were snorkeling that, why couldn't you take stuff off of it? Why? You could. You could. Yeah, it wasn't a, it wasn't a treasure at that time, I suppose. But did yeah. you see the other items they got off of? Oh, the, the lead seals? Those are nice. Yeah. That's what's, that's what's nice about shipwrecks is a lot of this other stuff, you know, it wears out, it gets old, it gets melted down, turned in the other stuff. It just sits there, and uh, if it doesn't corrode, it's there to be seen another day. But you would never find that if you if you weren't looting the shipwreck, because that's just going to filter down in the bottom. Okay. Interesting picture. Did you take a look at the bottom pictures? That, that one uh, mosaic, it looks like a mosaic, it isn't, but from the bow all the way to the stern, that's a pretty good shot of that one. Yeah, I like how they they've done that. I I would love to do that to some of our wrecks around here. Take a bunch of photos and stitch them together. And they've known about this one for how long? Well, they said 2011, but I'm going to guess it's 40 feet of water. Well, I don't see any. You know, the grid patterns are not here. So what have they been doing for X number of years? And that's got to be very susceptible to storm damage since it's relatively shallow. I would think so at 40 feet. So how, how do you know the damage that was done was not done by sinking 100 years onto the freaking water in storms? Yeah. Well, more than that. What year did they say it was? 1600? Yeah. That's been a little bit of time down there. Yeah. So Still a cool thing. I'd dive on it. Absolutely. And then we have a video of the week. Uh, we have uh, it's a little cute video. Just this crab walking along, minding his own business. 
until the big old mean octopus grabs him. It's very violent. I don't know. It's censored for children not to watch it. It'll traumatize them. Or they'll giggle. Or, or if you listen to the video, did you do the audio also? Yeah, I did the audio. Yeah, yeah. Listen to the kids scream. Yeah. <laughs> Could be traumatic. We should put a warning on that. Yeah. And I've seen a few videos like that. It must be common for the, the octopus to stay there and grab he those crabs. Any, he didn't waste any time getting up there and taking that web, did he? No. Yeah, I, I didn't. Bet, I bet that. you want to dispatch that crab as quick as possible. Otherwise, that would that could hurt. So I wonder what they do. I mean, do they bring it up there and use her beak to kill it or something? I don't know. Would you could just like pull the legs off? I, I don't know. That's... You'd think that the octopus would be much stronger. But yeah, you'd maybe he just crunches through the shell with his beak. Ooh, that'd be a slow way to go for a crab. Nature is cruel. Yep. Just nature is the way it is. But you got to eat. Yeah. And then let's see. We had uh, an email sent to us. Uh, this is from, uh, James says, I listen to this show every week. I own my own semi and work a lot of hours every day. This show and other podcasts about diving. Keep me in the sport. Keep up the good work. I finally started my advanced class and moving towards dive master. I was thinking about going on and taking an IDC, but really I don't, oh, I don't really want to teach. It is something I may do a little, but I don't think it's my thing. I was thinking of becoming instructor, so it looks good on a resume. I'd rather do something like work for Mel Fisher, an aquarium, or some other alternative scuba work. If you have any ideas on a path that might be better, please let me know. And this is James. Yeah, that's that's kind of interesting because isn't the idea behind an instructor is that it's a professional level certification according to the dive agencies and it's for instructing? Would uh, is is there alternative certifications? Would a dive master be more appropriate? Well, Jim, what do you think? And you're, you know, working there, at Wolf. What do you think is appropriate? I would say dive master or uh, master diver. Yeah, because master diver is a, is the recreational, which I I think yeah. probably any of us are over even overqualified for master diver. Dive master is kind of the introduction to professional. Uh, you go and get your certification. Uh, that's where the, a lot of theory, actually the hard book work for uh, the dive instructor is really done in the dive master. The instructor is more the kind of the practical business side of it. And they get the dive, inst- you get that dive master and you can do a lot of things as dive master. You can uh, crew on a boat and take people down. Uh, you know, a lot, a lot of places, the shops, if you become a dive master there, they want you to help out in the classes. So there you're back again doing some of the teaching. Uh, now, with Dive Master Mac, is there anything in the commercial world that they would use somebody who's Dive Master for? Well, I'm not really sure from that aspect. Uh, I would probably get the Canadian certification for, like we had talked about a couple of weeks ago, for the different levels of surface air and salvage, because they have classifications from mm-hmm. very basic air all the way up to sat diving. So if I were going to get something for certs, I'd get one of those. Yeah. Well, then, uh, driver. If I was working on a shop, that would be something good to have because it shows you've got not only the training, but hopefully at our age, the experience it goes with it. Yeah. Now he talked about he'd like to do something like Mel Fisher, which is referring to uh, you know some archaeology and in recovery or aquarium. Uh, maybe uh, doing an underwater archaeology course and getting some of those certifications might work well too. Well, if you, to me, you, you're going to wind up doing the uh, scientific diver course. Yes. Basically is your scuba, and then you go from that to specifics for 
the underwater archaeology aspect of it. Yeah. That would get you more work, I would suppose. But take a look at the people who are doing that kind of job. It's usually uh, gratis yeah, or very low pay because it's, it's like when you do the exploration here on uh, the Fort St. Joe, yeah. the work up there in Berrien, you're actually paying the school to participate in the two-week dig. Yeah. Well, I think even Mel Fisher, other than his his staff, uh, you pay a couple thousand dollars to go down there and dive for a week, which then entitles you to a share. So if you're weak, nobody discovered anything, <laughs> you don't get much. Right. And my understanding, if you did find something, it's it's a percentage, but it's not a great percentage. Something like 10%, as I remember. Yeah, it, it, was, it was something like that. But that'd be a, that'd be. I don't think you have to have any real special certifications. Now, to be on his staff, you probably do. Uh, but, uh, yeah, uh, let us know, uh, James, if you have any more specific questions or anything. And uh, we'll ask around, and if we have an update, we'll we'll let you know. You could take a look at the uh, NAS uh, certification for underwater archaeology. That's, that's pretty much the most well-recognized. NAS is what association? Um. I'm not sure what it stands for off the top of my head, but that's the, uh, I think it might be the Nautical Archaeological Society. I'll have to look it up and see. Yeah, I found some stuff I'm I'm looking up now. Yeah, NAS Dive Club is the Nautical Archaeological Society, which you can look at Nautical Archaeological Society or archaeologysociety.org, an easy thing to say. There's also the National Aquatic Service. (laughs) The NASAC is a volunteer-run archaeological dive club affiliated with Nautical Archaeology Society and is run by NAS members for NAS members. The club operates a branch of the Subaquatic Association, SAA Branch 1127, welcomes divers from all training agencies. The aim of the club is to develop memberships, diving, and archaeological skills through involvement in specific projects. So that's interesting. So it's not... It's more just a refinement of existingly trained people. Let's see, and that is out of the UK, that this particular one. Well, when you talk about, you know, the Subaquatic Association. Yeah, yeah. I, I like how they do it over there. Okay. Uh, anybody get any diving in this last week? Uh, well, Mr. Curtis got in on uh, Wednesday. Actually, he got two different dives in on Wednesday over at uh, Gull Lake. Uh, he posted some good information there. Uh, water's still pretty cool, and visibility was around 15 feet, I think you said, down at the deeper part where you got that haze, because uh, I had dove. Where did I dive? I did Paw Paw Lake. I can't remember Saturday or Sunday. I uh, went out with Ted. He hadn't uh, tried out his dry suit since the uh, ice dive or the the uh, cold water work we did in the river. Uh-huh. So he finally got out there, uh, did very well. And again, it's getting to the point that you can do a wetsuit. Uh, and at just about time I can get out of my three-finger mitts and use five fingers. Ah, use all five fingers. Yep. How about you, Jim? Were you able to get in or just... No, I have not gotten any diving in. Since Gilboa. Yeah, since Gilboa. That was so, the last one. Yeah, so you're still way ahead of me. But it is... It looks like it's getting beautiful. Now, what's the prospects for this weekend of anybody getting any dives? Well, I know Bob wants to get out on Sunday, but right now it looks like tea storms, 80% chance of rain. Uh, I will get wet, hopefully. Uh, I'm not sure what day, but I will try to manage it. I suppose to do a sporty fly-in on Saturday, but the weather there looks iffy. When it's got T-storms between here and there, and that's 200 miles, it's like, I'll probably go diving instead. Yeah. So you're thinking a river or the Pawpaw Lake? 
Uh, it really depends. I'd like to get into the river, but I'm seriously thinking about taking my kayak out and hitting a place I haven't hit yet that I got some pictures of that says I should be there about three years ago. Oh. <laughs> I just, I just have, if I had access other than taking my kayak, I'd have been in it, but I can't find any place to park and get my gear out without getting a freaking ticket, even though it's, you know, this time of year, probably nobody's going to say anything. But my luck, I get a ticket, so... Yeah. That's what I do is get the kayak out and hit that spot. Nice. I look forward to seeing the photos. Uh, still making some progress on the website, not as quick as I'd like, but getting some things updated. So what that means is Eve, the the neglected site that you currently see is going to be more neglected because I'm putting all the work into the new one. So yeah. it'll as be a side a, note, Kevin. Kevin, by the way, did get on that one wreck. Oh, did he? Yep, up in Grand Rapids, got some nice pictures, and it still has the boiler on it. Which surprises us both. Well, why? Why would they leave the boiler on? Well, the picture I have of that boat, and I think it's the same boat he just found, or relocated, not basically found. I got a picture of it as it was burning at the side of the dock before they push it out, and it looks like it's been stripped. Yeah. But the, he got pictures, and it's got a freaking boiler on it. Nice. So that's interesting. So I haven't seen the pictures yet, but uh, that's going to be interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Now, did he feel like there was a lot of people giving him grief for diving on it? No, uh, he's actually trying to work with them, giving them extra information and better photos than they currently have of the wreck. Oh, okay. Um, he just, I mean, in that area, he, it'd be very nice the people who dive it would dive it for the same reason, meaning I'm doing history research, I'm doing good pictures, I'm not touching anything. Yeah. Yeah, because he what he what he's afraid of doing was showing up them with the work they're doing and taking all his credit, which is why you haven't seen him promoted. In fact, we won't even mention the vessel's name on the show. You have to dig through right. to figure out which one we're talking about. But yeah, he he he's not he's doing it for just because he loves the dive and he wants to see it and see if he can help out. Right, and he has got a lot of shallow water wreck experience in the last two years with the amount of diving he's done. He could seriously put forth a nice book. And I think we need to encourage him to do that. On shallow water wreck with pictures and specific known viable GPS coordinates. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, we may have to do something. We have to talk to him. With, with the new website, I'm I'm thinking about doing a premium area. So if, even if he doesn't want to do a book, maybe we'll just do some premium content. Nothing else we need to collectively. I haven't been on the court in 30 years. The whaleback. Uh-huh. Yeah. You oh, want yeah. to go up and dive. You know, I was thinking about that same thing. I, I took the MSRA map that they published on the website and laminated it. And on the back side, I went and got all the GPS numbers that I had for or could find for everything from uh, Big Sable or Little Sable Point, basically Manistee, all the way south. And there's five or six wrecks that I know of that I'm still looking for numbers for, but I want to keep updating this and trying to make a nice nice list of everything down the coast that we know is there. Yeah. Uh, oh, I've got to get one sheet. I've got to get you those charts that I've got. In fact, it's sitting right here. I don't know if you can hear my, my paper rustling. I hear, I hear it. Throw it in the truck. I'll be working tomorrow. Okay. I'll have to, I'll have to do that. I got to make sure I don't give away my charts, but I've got uh, a bunch of extras, so I'll bring them I have to bring them. My God, work's been so crazy. But this has got stuff. I mean, there's there's dots everywhere, all up and down. 
And yeah. the preserves bring, don't have half these wrecks. Not bring, bring them. A lot of them might be surf, you know, surf zone wrecks. Yeah. But I'd love to get up there and start checking a few of them out. Yeah. Uh, we've got some numbers on things that I want to, I want to validate. So. Yeah. Yeah. We. Mac, when I get the get the get wet ready, we got to get out and start doing some surveying. In fact, I'm looking at another boat right now that I think might be a little better for survey work. Do do we need to pick a day of the week and just say that survey day? Uh, we got to get the boat ready first. <laughs> the boat has to float. Uh, Mother well, Nature usually run. has to say that's the biggest one. It's Mother Nature. Yeah, yeah. It, it, it the boat needs to run. Yeah. So what would what would so say we say we do that? Say we do a, a mowing the lawn day. Do we get to dive at the end of the day? Sure. If there's anything you see you want to hit. Yeah, we'll, we'll come back to it. We'll have to do that. I got I don't have to burn up some vacation time, but I have some. So I need to do something. All work and no play and no diving is sucks. <laughs> well, if you want to follow us, which a few people do, you can follow us on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash scuba obsessed. We're also on Twitter at scuba obsessed. You can contact us via email at the show at scuba obsessed and we'll get back with you and uh, we'll update the website. We love those five star reviews. So if you can drop us a review, on iTunes, and you can also look at us on TalkShoe, TalkShoe Show 73759. And also, uh, if you happen to like outdoor programs and you want more than just programs on scuba diving, you can subscribe to uh, Reno Viola's stations, WRVORadio.com. Fishing, hunting, boating, and the rest of the great outdoors 24-7, 365 on Reno Viola Outdoors Radio. Download the free Reno Viola's Outdoor Radio app or visit WRVORadio.com online. You guys have anything you want to plug? Well, we've got the club meeting coming up on the 19th. I thought I I had missed it. (laughs) That's next week. Yes. Uh, And and if you want to take a look, see the Mug Club's doing, that's mugclub.scubaobsessed.com. And we did have some members, and I think they may be younger than me, so I wouldn't be the youngest member anymore. Yeah, we've got a couple out there. It'd be nice to have a lot more. Yeah, male, female, we don't care. Come on in, get wet, do some diving. Uh, let's see. Yeah, I'd, I'd say that uh, makes it about that time of the show. Absolutely. All right. Yeah, so, goodness. I had to go to my backup mouse, so everything is a little slower. If that's possible. Now, here's the, this is, so before we do the joke, we have the pre-joke. So kind of like an appetizer. And this is from a relative that I won't call out. See, so that way I've got plausible deniability. But uh, it, it's more of a, a saying, you know, I don't know. It could be Gandhi or Buddha or Confucius or somebody might have said this. So it says, boobs are like the sun. You can stare at them directly for just a few seconds. But if you put on sunglasses, you can stare at them as much as you want. <laughs> Yeah, that, that. Okay, so so here's the other one. Uh, this one's from, uh, uh, must be the UK. It says, overnight a torrential rainstorm soaked southern England. When uh, morning dawned, the resulting floodwaters came to about five feet into most of the homes in the South Portsmouth area, which is an area that's below sea level. Doreen Bryant was sitting at the top of the roof, roof with her next-door neighbor, Molly Borden, waiting for the emergency services to rescue them. Doreen noticed a lone straw hat floating near the house. Then she saw it float out farther into the front garden, then float all the way back to the house. It kept floating away from the house, then back in. 
Her curiosity got the best of her, and she asked Molly, Do you see that straw hat floating away from the house and back again? Oh, yes, Doreen, grinned Molly. That's Bert, my husband, wearing his gardening hat. He told me yesterday that he was going to cut the grass today, come hell or high water. Must be a scuba diver. <laughs> yeah, that's... that's what good. if he's using an electric mower? <laughs> electric mower? <laughs> well, I know he can't be using a gas one. You have to have a snorkel. Battery powered. <laughs> Battery powered. Well, you could have one of the friction ones. You know, the little... That's true. Yeah, yeah rotary. A little that's rotary. True. God, that'd be, that'd be tough underwater. That gives a whole new meeting for mowing the lawn, doesn't it? Oh, man. Sure does. So on that note, go out there and get wet. And stay safe. I think we must have drowned Jim. I was mowing the lawn. <laughs> I couldn't tell if that was a motor noise or snoring. You guys see that new scuba club as a side note? No. Southwest Michigan Scuba Diving Club? No. No. It's going to be meeting up at Sass's. I'll send you some links on it if you haven't seen it. Okay. I got invites for it. Huh? They're going to let you come. Well, they're like, it's going to be the whoever's joining now is the Vanguard. <laughs> and I'm, I'm putting that on the. Uh, okay. Did yeah, the Facebook. I will have to check that out. Yeah, to take, take a look at it. I just sent that to your Facebook. And yeah. let's, see, let's see what the other one is. And this that might be interesting. Okay. So you guys know Rob anyway, right? From up there, Will uh, Sass. What's that? You guys know Noel? Rob Noel? K N O L L E. Ah, name sounds familiar, but I can't say that I know him. Yeah. Well, if you if you're up at Sass, you'll see him. He does some of their presentations, uh, some of their teaching, and obviously you'll see him sometime on the uh, Wednesday night dives. I met him. <clears throat> I met him a couple of years ago on one of those dives, and okay. I see him all the time now. He was at the uh, plane mill meeting uh, that we had the presentation to. Nice. Last month, uh, he's the one who's going out towards Arizona looking for meteorites. I think this month. Okay. Yeah, I'd love to do that too. Oh, another thing on the list. Yeah. That, that and do some dredging for gold. All of the above. Yeah. So on that note, go out there and get wet and stay safe. I think we must have drowned Jim. I was mowing the lawn. <laughs> I couldn't tell if that was a motor noise or snoring. <laughs> Call recording has been completed. Blink.